Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gold Creek, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger with this week's message from Story Point Church. So, you are either going to leave today with great joy, or you're going to leave today with great sorrow. And it all depends on where your heart is. Open your Bibles, if you will, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. And I say that because what we know is that the heart is where everything begins inside of you. But we know more than that in that the heart of of, of the heart that you have will determine what you hear, it'll determine what you do, it'll determine what you say. It literally is the factory of our life. And when I say heart, I'm not talking about the thumper, I'm talking about the, the core of who you are, right? And I say that you'll either leave with great joy or you'll leave with great sorrow because what I'm going to teach you today out of God's Word is hard to hear if you don't have the right heart. I'll be real honest, this is not a passage that, that anybody without the right heart wants to hear. Because it stares us straight in the face and it demands that we make a choice either to obey what God says or to not obey what God says. But here, let me just, let me just put you at ease. The Bible tells us, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto us. In other words, our life is always better when we're yielded to what God has to say. Wouldn't you agree with that? Amen? Turn to the person next to you and say... Sorrow or joy, it's your choice. But I'll tell you where I am, man, I am, I am stoked. As the young people say, this is the bomb, right? Never say that in an airport, by the way. So um, just, just saying, they could always take that the wrong way. Um, and kangaroos do not ever get chased by lions. I just need to clear that up. So let's just, okay, if you're watching this by TV, I'm sorry. Um, how many of y'all last week wondered, how do kangaroos get chased by lions? Anybody? Okay, so all of you people, I just have to tell you, I totally misspoke. I should have said a dingo. A dingo chasing a lion, then we would have been square, right? Go back to last week and you'll understand what I mean. All right, so we're talking about legacy, right? Legacy is what you leave behind. It's the fruit of your life. Now, a reputation is what people think about you. You can form a reputation to a degree, but the truth is, your reputation, people will just, they'll just decide what they want to believe. But a legacy is really indisputable. A legacy can be forgotten and will be forgotten 10, 20, maybe 50 years if you're lucky. But a legacy literally could last year after year and generation after generation. If you ever watched the great movie Gladiator, right? Um, In the very opening scene, you've got... Uh, the, the general of the army, and he, it's the last battle, and, and it's Russell Crowe, of course. He gets on his, his horse, and he walks through uh, the, 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 the soldiers, and he's getting them pumped up and ready to fight, and he says these words. He says, what you do in life echoes throughout all of eternity. Man, that would be a great Bible verse. I'm just saying. It's not in there in those words, but it's true. It is a biblical concept. What you do in life echoes for all of eternity. And here's the thing. Eternity just doesn't mean after we're dead. Eternity is literally what you do in life echoes from generation 
to generation to generation. There are some decisions that followers of Jesus made 500 or 1,000 years ago that you and I are reaping the benefits from. We are their legacy. They have no idea what our name is. They don't know that we exist. But because they were faithful to what God called them to in that moment, we are reaping the legacy of their life. That's the kind of life I want to live. Isn't that the way you want to live? And here's, don't, make, don't, don't mistake this, all of us are building a legacy. It's either a good legacy or a not so good legacy. But we're already building it. And we build it really in four ways. Number one, we build it with our words, with what we say. What we say matters. I was in a conversation just this past week. Uh, matter of fact, the young adults were, were in that conversation. Uh, Pam was talking about uh, her, her story. And, and she made a statement that a person said something to her. That just, it, 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 it helped her in, in ways that she couldn't even express. The woman who said this to her had no idea she even said it. She was just being kind. She was just saying what she thought was right. And those words were instrumental in my friend's life. The words you say, the actions you do. What you do really does make a difference. Because our words are cheap unless our actions support our words, right? Here's the third thing. Our wealth. We build a legacy with our wealth. Now, we know this to be true because we look at uh, fancy buildings and we see placards and signs that said this was donated, this was built by so-and-so or whatever, right? We see these memorials all over the place. But I'm talking about more than just building a building or, or having a plaque. I'm talking about leaving a legacy with your wealth that, that really you don't even know about until you stand before God and God says, let me show you what I did with what you gave. It is a big, big privilege that I get to share with you this with you today. And here's why. I don't think I fully grasped it until just recently. At least, I didn't fully grasp the final piece of it until the last five or six months. And when that final piece hit, I mean, I got most of it, but this final piece, when it hit, man, it set my heart on fire, thinking to myself, man, I hope God blesses me beyond wild imagination. I hope that I just get so blessed by God because the more I'm blessed, the more I can do. It's not about me and it's not about my pleasure and it's not about my fun. There will be some of that along the way. But at the end of the day, I want God to radically bless me so that I can radically bless his kingdom. That's the whole goal. Are you with me? Joy. Man, this is an inexpressible joy when you finally get this, right? All right, so go to the scripture with me. In Luke chapter 12, verse 13 and following, Jesus has an encounter with a man in, in, in the crowd, and then he tells a parable to explain to the man what he's talking about. Verse 13 says this, Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So here's what was happening. Jesus was teaching, um, and the crowd had gathered around him, and while he was teaching, somebody interrupted him. Now, this is kind of out of joint. It's not really fitting with, with what he's teaching, except that, that the, the person that, excuse me, that asked the question must have, must have probably had his brother there in the crowd with him. He was, they were probably in a dispute. Now, we don't know the details. We don't know how much money they had. We don't know what the inheritance was. We know nothing except the man interrupted and said, Teacher, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. Now, that was out of place because who is Jesus to tell? I mean, why, why would Jesus be chosen? He's not a judge. He doesn't, doesn't uh, arbitrate between people. 
And actually, Jesus said that. He said, friends, who appointed me a judge or arbiter, arbitrator over you? In other words, why are you asking me this? Well, he was asking Jesus this because he felt like maybe Jesus would make the brother split the money, but Jesus took it on a whole other different route. Jesus' response was this. He said, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. If you have a pen, a paper, a lipstick, mark that, mark that verse right there. Memorize that verse because that, I would say to you, is the struggle that all of us wrestle with. All of us wrestle with this nasty little thing called greed. Now, most of us wouldn't call it that. We would call it things like, I just want to be prepared. I just, I just want to make sure I, I complete my tower, to use biblical terms, right? I want to make sure I'm wise. But so many times in our heart of hearts, what's going on is a sinister form of greed. Greed is like that. Greed has the ability to cloak, cloak itself in holiness, but in actuality, it's completely the opposite. In fact, we can do something that looks good on the outside, but is full of greed on the inside. And God says, they may not see it, but I know your heart. And here's what I want you to know today. I am not preaching this to you because I'm going to tell you what to do with your money and how to do it. That's not my job, and I don't want that job. It is not my responsibility to tell you how much is enough how much you should give to so-and-so or to who and who. It's not my job to tell you any of those things. It is my job to say this is what Jesus said about possessions, i.e. wealth, and how greed can overcome us if we're not careful. That's why Jesus said, watch out. Watch out in the Greek means be alert, pay attention, constantly scan the horizon to notice when greed is creeping in. And greed isn't dealt with one time and you set it and forget it. Greed has the ability to keep usurping the, the heart and, and, and taking away the things that God has planted there if we're not careful and vigilant against it. Greed has the ability to turn someone from a very kind person into a very stingy person almost overnight. Let me prove it. Win the lottery. Come into an inheritance. Have a family member or a neighbor or a stranger die and leave you $10 million and see what happens to your heart. Not only see what happens to your heart, but see what happens to the heart of the people in your family. I personally have witnessed more ugly, nasty family matters through money being left or through will and estates than I've seen just about anywhere else. When money gets involved, people get really, really nasty. Amen? It's true, right? My dad had a great idea. He said, kids, all three of you, here's the deal. We're going to split it all up, but if you fight about it, you each get a dollar. <laughs> okay, dad, we won't fight, right? I mean, the, the, the thing is, money has that way of, of, of coming back in and just, just grabbing our attention. Why? Because we all are predisposed to love, comfort, pleasure, all those things that money can buy. And money has that way of, you ever see the ring, the, uh, not, uh, what is it called? With the ring, right? Lord of the Rings, yes. You ever see the Lord of the Rings, Right? And the whole thing is you can't hold the ring too long because if you do, it starts to change you, right? 
And so they're afraid of it. They keep it at arm's length because they don't want to fall in love and be mesmerized by the ring. Money, not just money, but wealth, all the things that money can buy, has that ability. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Here's the thing. You don't have to be controlled by greed. In fact, not only do you not have to be, God says, watch out and don't let your hearts be controlled by greed. Because what we need to realize is that it's actually upside down. When we are greedy, we are not experiencing the true joy that God has called us to live in. When we are generous and when we are not greedy, when we use our wealth for kingdom purposes, we experience not only the joy that God built us for, but we also experience the pleasure of seeing God use us in ways we never dreamed possible. Jesus talks to this man and he says, the abundance, or excuse me, um, My goodness, I can't see. Watch out and be on guard of all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. You are not defined by what you have. But isn't it strange how the world operates that way? Isn't it strange how we treat a rich man differently than we treat a poor man? Isn't it strange we treat somebody who dresses dapper compared to somebody who dresses not dapper? I don't even know what dapper is. I just heard it somewhere. Isn't it strange how we treat somebody who drives a really fancy car differently than we treat somebody without a fancy car? Folks, the truth is, what you have does not make your life. What you have, ultimately, is partly because of your background or your history. It's partly because of the work that you've done, and it's largely because God has blessed you. All three of those things is, is why you have what you have and why I have what I have. All right, so let's look at how Jesus deals with this. Verse 16, he said, Then he told them a parable. I love it when Jesus tells stories, don't you? He can tell a story, and as he's telling the story, you're listening to the story and you're going, Oh, oh, that's, oh, that's me. Oh, oh, no, oh, that's me. Oh, I don't want that to be me. He's telling this story, and he tells the story of a rich man. He says, a rich man's land was very productive. Now, here's the thing. When Jesus tells a story, he was telling the story with the details to build a story, right? So every detail matters. It was a rich man who had land that was very productive. What does that tell you? That tells you he was rich, right? He was comfortable. When you're rich, you're comfortable. Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, not, not, I'm talking like physically. You can buy the food you want. You can buy the stuff you want. You can have the house you want. You can keep the air on 68 degrees if you want. <sighs> Wouldn't it be nice? If I were a rich man, I would bump it down two more degrees. I'm just telling you. Wouldn't that be heaven? That'd be awesome. <laughs> Sorry. You can tell what struggle in our house is. She wants 78 because it's economically feasible. I said, baby, we're not poor anymore. <laughs> we're going to send that joker down and be comfortable. <laughs> She's like an Eskimo in there going, I'm so cold. But it's 75. How can you be cold? I'm sorry. But that's true. Where the heck was I? Dang it, I chased that rabbit. That was, that was fun, though. i got to be honest. I enjoyed that. Oh, yeah. So, so he was rich. He was comfortable. He was rich, and yet he had a productive year. So in other words, he was rich and became richy rich, right? He was richier. His richness increased. 
Now, why is this important? It's important to tell you the condition of his heart. He wasn't a beggar who became rich. He was a man who had all that he needed, and then he got more. So you need to understand that this parable is not against being rich. It is not a sin to be rich. It is a sin to let your richness be your God. It is a sin when you love money more than you love God because that's called idolatry and that happens to be the root of all evil. You see why greed is so insidious in our life? But he was rich. He wasn't sinning because he was rich. In fact, he was rich because he was blessed. God is the one who made him rich. None of us are rich because it's, it's our own smarts. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from above. From a farmer's analogy, let's think of it this way. He had, a, he had a piece of land. We don't know where he got it. He could have earned it and worked for it, or it could have been passed down. We don't know. But he had a piece of land. He broke the land, and he then uh, conditioned the soil, and then he put the seed inside of the land, and then God sent the rain. God gave the sun. God created all of those scientific things that have to happen inside of a seed for the seed to die and then take root and then grow up. God had to keep the locust away. God had to do all that God does so that these fields could grow into a, a harvest that could then be harvested and sold for money, right? So we have to remember that everything we have is because God has blessed us. Everything. That's the first principle of stewardship. It's not ours, it's His. I think until we understand that, we're not really going to fully grasp, grasp what it means to honor God with our wealth. Because honoring God with our wealth is really just doing what God says to do with His money. You ever notice how when you have a kid who you give them money to eat, they eat high on the hog? Right? You, give them a, you, you spot them a 20 and they go to McDonald's and you're like, okay, where's my change? Oh, there's no change. There's no change? What happened? Well, you know, I got a Happy Meal and a Big Mac meal and all those, and I bought my friend's stuff too. But now you flip that around and you say you're paying for it yourself. They're like on the dollar menu, right? They're like, I, I bought a, 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 a dollar hamburger and a dollar small fry and I, and I bummed a Coke for my friend, right? We shared a Coke. Now, maybe, maybe your kids aren't like that, but my kids were probably more like that. But here's the thing. When it's yours, you treat it differently. When it's somebody else's, you treat it differently, right? If we realize that what we have belongs to God, and if we realize that God, because He gives it to us, He expects us to use it for Him, and if we use it for Him, He actually resupplies it, why would we not? Think about this. This is why there's joy. It's a principle of sowing and reaping. When I sow sparingly, I am going to reap sparingly. When I sow uh, generously, I'm going to reap generously. That's what Jesus said. So if I know that by generously reap, spare, uh, sowing, I'm going to generously reap because God is going to restore or replenish what I've sowed, it only makes sense for me to say, duh, 
I'm going to live my life spending God's money for God's things because the more I spend on God, the more He gets praise and honor, the more joy I get, and the more God is going to entrust me with what He's given me. Doesn't that make sense? Turn to the person next to you and say, doesn't that make sense? Then why is it, then why is it that so often we don't live that way? Why is it that so often we grab it and we do what this man did in the story, we hoard it and we store it, and we say to ourselves, this is mine. I want to give you an evil laugh. Mine. It is, yeah, that's right. That's what it is. My precious, right? You remember that one? Let me finish the story because that's more important than the movie, right? A, a rich man's land was very productive. It was productive because God made it productive. He was already rich. This was an abundance. By the way, if you don't know this, you are rich. Every one of us in this room. You may not be mansion on the hill rich. You not, may not be 40 foot uh, with quads on the back, you know, rich. You might be John Boat rich. But if you're John Boat rich, you're richer than most of the people on the planet. If you had breakfast this morning, you are rich. Because there are people all over the world today who did not eat a meal yet, and they likely won't eat a meal. There are slums in Nigeria. I was just talking to a friend of mine about this. Some of the slums are over a million people in population. Their greatest tragedy is that the sanitation is non-existent. They live in their own excrement. They live in it. They eat in it. That is their life. We are rich. That doesn't mean you've sinned. That's not what the Bible's saying. You haven't sinned because you live here. You didn't choose to live here, right? I mean, before you were born, did you, did you get a map and say, okay, I think I want to live here. Nobody did that, right? No. God blessed you by letting you live here. It's not wrong. But when he blessed you with it, he also gave you a responsibility. Here's what the man said. He said, I have got so much going on. He thought to himself, verse 17, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? There was a first mistake. I don't have anywhere to store my crops. They weren't his crops. He said, I know what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And I'll store all my grain and all my goods there. He did what many of us do as we move, under, uh, we move up in the wealth chain of life. We get dissatisfied with what we have because now we have more so that we go with bigger. And then we go with bigger. And then we go with bigger. Now listen, again, I'm not preaching against going bigger. What I'm preaching against is being dissatisfied and not content with enough is enough. Do y'all hear me? Listen, you decide what bigger is based on what God does in your heart and, and, and what he says because you and you alone will stand before God and he will say, what did you do with what I gave you? I will answer for me, you will answer for you. I'm glad I don't answer for you. You be glad you don't answer for me. But at some point, we don't need bigger. At some point, enough is enough. In fact, the scripture actually tells us that a, that 
a, a, a wealthy man, what he has never satisfies. What he has never uh, uh, fulfills. Because it's this idea of just one more dollar, just one more square foot, just one more car, just one... You know what I know? I, I have a habit, I, I'll confess to you. I, I need to go to, uh, to BA, Boaters Anonymous. Or actually MBA, Many Boaters Anonymous. I have this habit of buying boats. I, I, just, I just, I love boats. At one time I had like eight boats. Seriously. I went to the city and, and, and I was like, hey, what am I going to do about this tag to launch my boats? They go, what do you mean boats? They go, yeah, I got a few of them. They're like, how many do you have? No human being should have that many. It, it just, it was a hobby. I just like, and here's what I, here's the point. The more boats you have, the less boats you use because you're always fixing boats in your yard. Right? You have 13 in your fleet. Isn't this true? Here's the thing. How much is enough? At some point, we've got to learn that godliness with contentment is great gain. At some point, we need to realize that we really don't need a bigger bedroom. You sleep in it. And watch TV and a couple... That, it's, a, it's a bedroom. You don't need... I, I'm, just, I'm just saying, I'm trying, I'm trying to imagine some of these bedrooms that I've seen, they're like as big as this room, and I'm going, that's a lonely place to be. I mean, you could be in the same room and not even see someone, right? And again, I don't care how big your bedroom is. It's about the heart. At some point, more is not better. This man said, I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger ones. And then I'm going to stop all work. I'm going to kick back by the pool. I'm going to pop a Coca-Cola. I'm going to order me a pizza. And I'm just going to enjoy life, and I'm going to say, eat, drink, and be merry. But there is a surprise. God said, you fool. Tonight, your very life will be required of you. Translated, tonight, you're going to take your last breath. And then the question where will all your stuff go? That's a sobering question, isn't it? See, again, the problem was not that he had stuff. The problem is that his stuff had him. The problem is that he was owned and his life was defined by the wealth that he possessed. And the very last thing that Jesus said when he makes this parable clear, verse 31, excuse me, verse 21, and that's how it is with one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So you leave a legacy with your wealth. To leave a legacy with your wealth means that you are rich towards God. So let me ask you a question. Shannon and I played with this question this week. It was a lot of fun. I said, Shannon, what, what would we do if we were suddenly rich? She's like, how rich? <laughs> no, like rich, rich, right? What if we suddenly had $15 million? What would we do? And we just talked about that and, 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 and thought about what we, would, what we would buy and what we would do. And you know what we discovered? 
we really don't need a bigger house. I mean, our house is pretty much big enough. I mean, we got, we got enough room to have the kids come back if they want to. And, you know, I would probably pay to have the bathroom finished so that you guys didn't, could use the bathroom when you come over on Wednesday nights. But other than that, that made no sense to anybody who doesn't really understand that I have a bathroom that's malfunctioning. But, you know, we, would, we wouldn't really need new cars. I mean, our cars run. I really wouldn't sell my boat and get a bigger one. I said I would probably go tuna fishing twice a year because I, I, w- I would love to be able to charter one. Like, that'd be cool, but we really wouldn't. I wouldn't stop working. I really wouldn't get a bigger boat. I don't think so. I think I'd just borrow a bigger boat. I don't know. Maybe I'd get a bigger boat. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> don't quote me on that. If you see a bigger boat in my driveway, I may have become rich. I don't know. Um, no, but you know what? I, know what we started thinking? We started thinking... What if we were to take that wealth and move the majority of it into a foundation? And then we were to use that foundation to do kingdom stuff around the world. What if we were to like build a house locally and then, and then pay a family to be, uh, to be foster parents? And we could take 10 or 20 kids and give them a home that they could grow up in with, with security and comfort and food. And they wouldn't have to be moved around in the system. And what if, we could, what if we could sponsor like 500 kids with Compassion International? What if we could find an orphanage that needs some help in, in, uh, in, in some country somewhere? And what if we could find some missionaries who are struggling and, and just barely making it? We could say, we're going to fund the ministry you're doing in this no-name place of the earth. And what if we found an unengaged, unreached people group, a UUPG, I love that term. And what if we sent our funding to help bring the gospel to this far corner of the earth where nobody was, uh, where they haven't yet heard of it? And what if we just, just had the ability to, to, to set aside a large amount of money, we just walked around looking for ways that God is working, and then we infused some cash into it so that they wouldn't have to struggle and suffer day to day? Wouldn't that be fun? Would anybody in here like to do that? That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Guess what? Most of us will never be rich. So do what you can do with what you have. Because if you won't do it now, you won't do it when you're rich. If you'll you'll squeeze a penny now, you're going to squeeze a penny when you're rich. Matter of fact, I would propose to you this. It's harder to do that when you're rich than when you're not rich. Why? Because when you're rich, the heart begins to turn. And everybody wants a piece of what you've got. And it becomes this this beast that you're staring in the face constantly. But let me just tell you, if you develop an understanding of generosity and blessing, not blessing necessarily, but in living with your wealth to God's kingdom, you will build a legacy that lasts beyond what you could possibly imagine. There's a man by the name of Randy Ramos who did this, a local man. He owned a company called GBSI. He died in the last couple of years. I think it was the last year or two. But he was looking at his business and he said, you know what? God has blessed me. I've got all these contracts. I've got money coming in. And I just, I feel like I should do something with my business to honor the Lord. So he called a friend of ours named Terrell Davis. He said, hey, Terrell, what if you were to come and be my, my, my corporate missionary? Your job would be to figure out how to spend this money on God's kingdom. 
Your job description says, go out into all of the world and find places where God is at work and how we can be a part of, of, of moving that work along. And so GBSI started a ministry portion of their business, and to this day, that's what Terrell does for a living. Now, many of you are familiar with him, but when Randy died, his wife became the owner of the business, and she's running it. And as I understand, she has the same heart. Listen, the kingdom of God is expanded because a businessman said, I don't need a bigger whatever. I want to use my wealth for the kingdom of God. There is another man that has blessed all of us and left a legacy, and you don't even realize it, but you're about to. There's a man who said, I need a job, so I'm going to start a business. And he struggled and he failed and he struggled and he failed. And eventually what he started, started to pick up some steam. And however many years later, now they are on many, many corners of this country. And they're closed on Sunday, but they give us joy six days out of the week. The Christian chicken. That's right, Chick-fil-A. You want to know if you, if you go to uh, their corporate office, you want to know what's posted out front there? A placard that says corporate purpose. Our corporate purpose is to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us. To have a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A, S. Truett Cathy, founder. This is a man who started his business with the kingdom of God in mind. And hasn't he blessed us all? Can I get a witness? He's blessed us all, and all of us want Chick-fil-A right now, knowing we can't get it on Sunday, don't we? So you know what's cool about Chick-fil-A? They have a, uh, a camp wind shape. They do massive work with foster kids. They give scholarships throughout all of their stores. They treat their employees uh, in, in, that, like they're leaders in training. I mean, they're the third... Uh, most successful fast food restaurant in the country. Only behind, is it second now? I heard it was third, but it, it, it's way up there. And they're closed one day a week. Why do you think that's the case? Because Truett Cathy said, we will honor Jesus with our wealth. And God said, well, if you're going to honor me with your wealth, I'm going to make sure you have plenty of it to honor me with. I am not saying that any of us or all of us are going to be wealthy. Matter of fact, I'm praying that if our hearts can't handle it, we won't be. I would rather be poor and begging than rich and far from God. Wouldn't you? I've actually prayed that, Lord, if you want to make me rich, that's great. But if it'll pull me away from your kingdom, then I don't want any part of it. I want to eat bread and water if it'll keep me close to you. But if my heart can handle it, I've also prayed this. Make me filthy, stinking rich. Because the things that I could do for your kingdom, I would enjoy doing. Does that make sense? Do you all hear the heart of this? So, so what's the point? The point is, you leave a legacy with your wealth. How, or rather, what legacy are you leaving? Well, don't wait until you die to leave a legacy. Figure out where God is at work and put your wealth behind it. 
Now, I made a statement in first service, and, I, and, and somebody came up afterwards and said, are you sure? And I said, yeah, I, I think I didn't make it clear enough. So let me make it clear here. I want to, if I could, I would, I would time it to where I would slide into eternity with pennies in my pocket. Now, we can't do that because we don't know the day or the hour when we're going to die. But if I could, I would like to slide into eternity with just barely any sense. Why? <laughs> sense. That's funny. Yeah, I'm working on that one. See, Ian, I want, I want to have very little in my pockets. Why? Because I want to see, I want to experience what God is going to do with what he's blessed me with. You know how many people die with a truckload in the bank? I mean, I guess that's not a horrible thing except for what's going to happen to it. Here's a statistic you should know about. Do you know that 39 out of 40 followers of Jesus leave nothing in their trust or their will to kingdom things? Nothing. One out of 40 have thought about what they're going to do for the kingdom when they step into eternity. So Shannon and I uh, started thinking about this, well, started thinking about our, our trust and our will and stuff a couple years ago, and we decided that, you know what, we need to get our, our affairs in order. Our kids are at the age that if we were to die, we want to make sure they don't have to deal with the courts and all that. So we went to an attorney, an attorney uh, and we, we did a trust. And in our trust, we, we divided everything up equally among our kids, and we you know, did all that we needed to do. And then about six months ago, five or six months ago, this is the missing piece that I didn't get. About five or six months ago, I met somebody, and he started sharing me this, with me this quote, he said, or this stat, statistic. He said, did you know that only one out of 40? I go, that's ridiculous. Ooh, that's me. I'm a pastor. This is what I do, and it never even dawned on me that in my trust, I should think about the kingdom. Now, I could argue that I was thinking about the kingdom because I was thinking about my children, but here's the thing. It's our money, right? We should get to do with it what we want to do with it because God gave it to us, not to them. We're going to give what, what we need to give to them, but our final gift to Jesus, this is cool, our final gift to Jesus, we will give to him when we're standing in his presence. Think about that. Because the moment we stand into his presence, our, our will or our trust will go into action. And those gifts that we've decided to give to kingdom things, before our kids get stuff, it's going to be done. And here's what's cool. If our life insurance kicks in, that portion gets to go to the kingdom. And if, you know, whatever way, you see what I'm saying? You're like, you're freaking me out. You're talking. Listen, this is exciting. Why? Because the legacy that we get to leave, we choose to leave. So for us, the church is one of our legacy gifts. Here's why. We, we, have, we have been here 17 years. This place has helped raise our children you have loved our family through thick and thin. You have walked with us. You have helped mature us in our faith. You've certainly made me a better pastor, at least, you know, the best you could do. You can only do so much, right? And so, you know, you have, you have given us so much that we have, our wealth has increased. Not, not, I don't mean it that way. Maybe that's the wrong words. Basically, we have, we have worked here. And so what we have is because we've, we've, we've worked here, right? 
So it's only fitting that we give a portion when we're gone back to the people who have blessed us so much. That brings us great joy. It's fun. And you know what? I think it's the right thing to do. But we're also going to give it to some other ministries that she and I have decided upon. So when our kids get their final check, it's going to have some deductions. But you know what? They're not going to mind. Why? Because they know, because we've told them, the kingdom of God is first. We've modeled for them what we want them to do with their family and their life. That's why I'm so excited. That was the final piece that I didn't get, when, when, or we didn't get. When we finally got to that final piece, P-I-E-C-E, we got to that final piece, P-E-A-C-E. Martin Luther said it this way. He said, there are three conversions in a man. When he comes to know Christ, there are three conversions, three things in his life that have to change. His head, his heart, and his wallet. He said the wallet is usually the last. Now, how many of you have ever heard, preachers always talk about money? You ever heard that, right? I don't always talk about money. But I want to tell you that I have failed you because I haven't spoken enough about the thing that Jesus talked about as much, if not more, than almost any other subject. Why? Because if you go through Luke chapter 2, just a few verses down, Jesus said this, where your treasure is, there your heart also is. If you don't get this right, you're not going to have things right. So let Jesus lead you. Amen? Amen.